The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's from the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Fine, Tom. Thank you. Good evening to you. Thank you, Father. Father, there's, uh, there's, there's so much going on in the news today. There's so much to talk about, but uh, perhaps there's nothing, nothing bigger, no bigger news than this recent 11-page uh, document that was put out by one uh, Archbishop Vigano. And uh, in this document, he says that Pope Francis, in fact, knew of uh, what was going on with the uh, Cardinal Theodore McCarrick and that scandal. There, he says that Francis was aware of that, and you you, uh, you briefly mentioned this in your sermon on Sunday, Father, but, but just to perhaps go into this a bit more in depth, I thought I could read just a brief uh, passage from that article that he put out, and, uh, and this he says that the Pope asked me in a deceitful way, what is Cardinal McCarrick like? And uh, this Archbishop Vigano, his answer was, Holy Father, I don't know if you know Cardinal McCarrick, but if you ask the congregation for bishops, there is a dossier this thick about him. He corrupted generations of seminarians and priests, and Pope Benedict ordered him to withdraw to a life of prayer and penance. He goes on to say, The Pope did not make the slightest comment about those very grave words of mine, and did not show any expression of surprise on his face as if he had already known the matter for some time, and he immediately changed the subject. But then what was the Pope's purpose in asking me that question? What is Cardinal McCarrick like? He clearly wanted to find out if I was an ally of McCarrick or not. So, Father, what is your reaction to this? This whole idea of Pope Francis, in fact, being aware of everything that Cardinal McCarrick was doing. He, uh, he was aware of the sanctions that Pope Benedict had imposed on him, but... Even in the, the face of all of this, rather than, uh, than, than keeping those sanctions in place or doing anything against Cardinal, Cardinal McCarrick, he not only uh, just totally ignored that, but he promoted him to be one of his closest, one of his most trusted advisors. He totally covered up this scandal. He, this, this goes all the way to the very top of the church, and this implicates Pope Francis. What is your reaction to this, Father? Well, it is not surprise. <clears throat> Tom, I don't know any traditional Catholic who would have really been surprised by what uh, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano said in his letter, um, because, well, hopefully traditional Catholics understand the nature of modernism, which is at the root of this whole problem. Uh, with John the Twenty-Third. Uh, taking control of the papacy in 1958, uh, the modernists had enough, enough power then to bring in their modernist false faith, their anti-faith, and begin immediately to construct a religion to go with their modernist faith. And to do that, they had to deconstruct the traditional Catholic religion, its mass, its sacraments, its catechism, its code of canon law, its devotions, and all the rest, and it had to replace them. You notice as soon as the modernists gained power uh, in pay over the papacy in John the Twenty-Third, that's immediately what they set about doing, changing the religion entirely. Because, uh, let's face it, a, a new faith requires a new religion, right? A faith, religion is simply a practice of a faith. 
that the modernists are going to uh, inject their anti-Catholic faith, they have to also produce um, the parody of Catholic sacraments and Mass, too, which is the new Mass, what we call the Novus Ordo, what Paul VI himself called the Novus Ordo, even as he was putting in, in place, right? And so we understand that they brought in their new morality. The modernists brought in their new <coughs> morality, which is basically what the Church had always condemned, not as being immoral, but amoral, okay? Amoral in the sense that it is not connected with morality or faith at all. And um, it was just, therefore, a matter of time before all of this played out. I mean, when they, when they brought in their new modernist morality, uh, they opened the floodgates to the homosexuals. And the homosexuals flooded the seminaries. I mentioned uh, recently the book Goodbye Good Men by Michael Rose. It came out back in the year 2000, right? And, uh, uh, and Monsignor Cousins up in, in, uh, in Cleveland writing about the changing face to the priesthood. Again, about the same time, about almost 20 years ago. And he acknowledged that the, you know, at least half, if not the majority of the clergy at that time in the Novus Ordo were homosexuals. So what did, could we possibly expect? Rather than be surprised by what Archbishop Vigano said, we would have been surprised if it were not true. And the rot would have to go all the way up to Francis himself. Why? Because there are so many, and by the way, I mean, what he's saying is that they knew. I mean, they, they all knew. They all knew what was going on. The homosexuals had invaded the seminaries, promoted each other <clears throat> to right on through to positions of, of power in their Novus Ordo church. Uh, they, they got their seminarians through, drove out anybody who was not homosexual, essentially, <clears throat> or, or, or beat them or shamed them or bullied them into silence, right? Just so they could get through and be ordained a Novus Ordo priest, heaven forbid. <clears throat> And then once they, once they became recognized as Novus Ordo clergy and Novus Ordo priests, they again were promoting each other to be the monsignors, to be the bishops, to be the cardinals. And finally, what have they got now, right? I'm afraid he's one of them. Absolutely every inch one of them. And that is why he's been covering for them. I mean, uh, Archbishop uh, Vigano did not actually go to say as far that he is one of the homosexual cabal in the church. But he is calling for Francis to step down. He insists that Francis, he says in his letter, has to be the first to step down. Well, since then, other voices like uh, Michael Voris and um, Church Militant uh, uh, doesn't want Francis to be the first to step down. He wants him to be the last to step down. And others also have spoken up saying, no, first, Francis has to dismantle the St. Gallen group and its adherence within the College of Cardinals. Because if Francis just steps down and leaves all those corrupt cardinals in place, they're going to elect another Francis or someone perhaps even worse, more insidious. I mean, even these, these cardinals who, who chose Francis back in 2013 had second thoughts about him because he's so, so out there, he's so completely blatant in what he's doing, they were afraid that he was going to blow their cover and people were going to start 
realizing that there's something gravely wrong in the papacy, well, in his, the Novus Ordo papacy itself. And they didn't want that. They didn't want to alert all these people. They didn't want to provoke a reaction. And so they were talking, floating the idea of Francis stepping down, and uh, they, they were talking about Cardinal Perlin, one of Francis's select, you know, men as a secretary of state, that he was going to come in, take over for Francis, because he would be more diplomatic, and he wouldn't be the type of person to, to awaken people's concerns, you know. Um, he'd be more cautious than Francis. And yet Francis resisted. He would not step down. And you see the consequences that they're facing now. Uh, they're losing control. The modernists are losing control. That's what they fear. And like, like an animal, a wounded animal, uh, it, it will just become, it will go on a rampage. This is, um, for Francis to dismantle the St. Gallen group of conspirators that grew even out of the, um, the Pact of the Catacombs, at the end of Vatican II, with all their radical progressivists who thought, how are we going to remake the church? We just get control. These are the people and their successors who have elected Francis now. And um, they, they were getting nervous that they couldn't control him so much and that this was getting out of their control. Now we see the result of that when this is really broken. And by the way, it's, it's interesting to see the progression of what has happened here. It, it was actually the suicide of a Franciscan priest abuser. He committed suicide actually in a Franciscan friary as he was being um, accused and charged with crimes against children. <clears throat> that started this whole process in Pennsylvania to assemble a grand jury and provoke that two-year study of just six dioceses in one state. There are actually, I understand, eight dioceses of the new church in Pennsylvania. And six of them are being studied. And the result of that study was to produce uh, the names of 300 clergymen, just the six dioceses, who in the course of uh, 50, 60 years, were talking about Vatican II, the run-up to Vatican II, Vatican II itself, and the years after Vatican II. That's what we're talking about. Okay, we're talking about the modernist invasion of the church. This is what has produced this, this, this issue, this crisis here. And um, somebody has to say it. I mean, that this is what it, it is. It is Vatican II. It is the modernists and what they've done to the church. Um, and they want people to believe that they are the church. But they're not. Okay, they are... They are the enemies of the church who've gotten into her, and this is what they're doing to her. The church is the first victim. The church is not villain in this. The Catholic Church is the victim. She's been the she's been abused by these modernists all these years, and all of these victims who've been abused are actually individual cases of abuse where the church itself is the first and principal victim of these modernists. They've been abusing her and her faith and her religion and her faithful all this time. And people have to face it, that it's Vatican II and what these modernists have brought in through Vatican II. This is the problem. Uh, that was the avenue through which all these other evils came in. Right? It's interesting to note, by the way, Tom, the findings of this, uh, this, this grand jury and, and what they've reported here <clears throat> is that 
the vast majority of these cases, a thousand cases, actually no, actually more instances of abuse than that, just a thousand young people who've been abused, a, a thousand individuals who these 300 clergymen, novus ordo priests so-called, have abused, <clears throat> the vast majority of them fall into the category of pederasty. <clears throat> they, they talk about pedophilia as being, you know, force the, the impurities on a child below the age of 12. <clears throat> but when the child reaches the age of 12 and goes up into the teen years, they refer to that as pederasty and uh, ephemophilia, is what they, they abusing teenagers. And the vast majority of the cases involve the abuse of young men, not women, not girls, young men in their high school age. So they refer to us as pederasty. Why are the homosexuals so intent on drawing the attention off of their second homosexual activity and make it sound as though it is a matter, a matter of pedophilia? Because the homosexuals have actually gained some respectability in the Novus Ordo Church. And it's almost like a privileged status, as though it's a minority community. They, they talk about the homosexual community and so on, right? Such as it is. And um, so they, they, they've almost gotten some kind of privileged status in the Novus Ordo Church. And they want to protect that. And they want to blame the problem on those pedophiles. And, and use that to draw attention away from themselves. But of, of only a small... A uh, percentage of these instances <clears throat> involve the actual sexual abuse of children under the age of 12. Most of them involve young men <clears throat> or those who are growing into, into that state through their high school years or even into the early 20s as seminarians. And that's what they've been doing. They've used their seminaries basically as uh, houses of ill repute, basically. Um, where the, the, the um, vocations director is controlling who gets into those seminaries, and they've turned them into kind of brothels, I'm sorry to say. And anybody who doesn't uh, subscribe to the homosexual lifestyle is going to be drummed out of there or drummed into silence, <clears throat> bullied into silence. This is what these men have done. Um, the names of Whirl, right? McCarrick, of course. I mentioned the suicide of that Franciscan friar, which precipitated the, the grand jury investigation of Pennsylvania. But the McCarrick issue is another thing that blew up in the last month or so. And uh, much of, uh, of uh, Archbishop Vigano's letter concerns McCarrick, and that, that he, the Archbishop, warned um, warned Francis personally in 2013, the year very year he was elected, about McCarrick, when Francis asked him, this is what you read, Francis asked him, <clears throat> remember Viganò had been apostolic nuncio to the United States of America in 2011 <clears throat> and 2016. Mm -hmm. He was privy to an enormous amount of informations, right? information about the, the, uh, the, the prelates here, right, the hierarchy here. He knew what was going on. And so he told Francis what he knew. The other curious thing is, even before that, before 2011, Viganò had a position in the Vatican 
which was a position of authority. And it was kind of a, a, a watchdog position over finances and expenditures. And he saw, found corruption there. But also, it is said that he, at one point, Vigano, was actually uh, the kind of connection point between the Holy See, well, you know, the Holy See of the Vatican, the unholy see of the, of the modernists, mm -hmm. and all of the nunciatures in the world, that the information, the connection went through him at one point. Very interesting. In that place, he would have had a lot of information coming through him. He knew a lot. And each time he got himself into trouble because he sounded the alarm about things that were wrong. And he got the reputation of being a troublemaker. And they're trying now to use that against him. He knew what the result would be of his unmasking Francis and all these other, well, McCarrick and all the rest of them. He knew exactly what the consequences would be. And uh, he had a plane ticket. He actually arranged secretly with about half a dozen different news agencies or news organs in the world to release his letter at the same time. I think his letter was dated August 22nd, and August 26th is when he, 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 he got them all to agree to confidentiality and to release his letter at the same time. He had a plane ticket out of Italy. And he told those who were close to him not to try to contact him because his cell phone was going to be disconnected and he was going to leave Italy and no one was going to know where he was. And you wonder, why this? I mean, like cloak and dagger, mm -hmm. come on. <clears throat> but you know what? <sighs> During, in the course of writing his letter, um, Archbishop um, Vigano talks about a, a Monsignor who was assisting him in Washington, D.C. And this Monsignor is named, uh, I'm pronouncing him Lantome. He's a Frenchman. Okay. And it fell to Lantome, Monsignor Lantome, to be the one to inform Cardinal McCarrick, who had been the Cardinal Archbishop of Washington, D.C., was succeeded by this Donald Whirl. It fell to, to this uh, Monsignor Lantome to inform Cardinal McCarrick of the, of the restrictions that were being placed upon him by Benedict XVI. This is even before Francis was chosen to be the Novus Ordo Pope, to succeed Benedict after he resigned. And according to uh, Archbishop um, Viganon, that the exchange between this Monsignor Lanton and McCarrick was very, very loud, right? It was very loud. Evidently, you get the impression there was, it was very, very, there was a lot of anger. And uh, Archbishop Vigano reports this in his letter, that Benedict had imposed sanctions against McCarrick because Benedict was informed about his depredations of these young people. <clears throat> Lo and behold, Whirl, Donald Whirl, the current Novus Ordo Archbishop, Cardinal Archbishop of Washington, D.C., says, that's not true, there never were any sanctions. Then the question became, well, gee, is Archbishop Bigano lying about this? Did he make this up? <clears throat> or is it Whirl? So guess what? 
Somebody actually went and contacted Benedict before he was silenced. And Benedict acknowledged, yes, I had imposed sanctions against, uh, against McCarran. <clears throat> they also went and found Lanthome, Monsignor Lanthome, in France, and asked him. And all he would say <clears throat> is this. Archbishop Vigano is telling the truth. That's all I'm going to say. He repeated it. Archbishop uh, Vigano is telling the truth. That's all I'm going to say. And you wonder, why would he be so silent about it? But then, uh, one of those actual, one of those uh, bloggers on the church, whom Monsignor Lantom had been in contact with, had visited, actually, and had commissioned to release his letter, had this to say. Okay, and by the way, this is... Uh, this is entitled The Amazing Story of How Archbishop Vigano's Report Came to Be. It's under the name of a Steve Kojak. But actually, the blogger is a name I don't recognize, Aldo Maria Valli, V-A-L-L-I. But he's one of those contacted by Archbishop Vigano to publicize his letter. And this is what he writes. A former apostolic nuncio, widely respected for his professionalism and decency, forced to go into hiding at age 78 for simply telling the truth about his fellow apostolic successors. There is perhaps more wisdom in this than there appears to be at first glance. Vigano's colleague, Monsignor Jean-Francois Lantome, whose job it was to inform Cardinal McCarrick of the news that Pope Benedict XVI had levied sanctions against him because of his abuses, said earlier this week, after confirming the veracity of the Vigano report, now these are the words now that are being quoted of Monsignor Lanton, these may be the last lines I write. If I am found chopped up by a chainsaw and my body sunk in concrete, the police and the hacks will say, that we have to consider the hypothesis of suicide. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Now this is what Monsignor, the Monsignor is saying, who is called upon to confirm what Vigano said, contrary to what Wuerl is charging. <clears throat> now since this, Vigan, uh, Wuerl has just adopted silence. He will not say anymore. <clears throat> but Vigano was saying he's lying if he says he didn't know about all this stuff. If he didn't know about all this abuse going on, he's lying. <clears throat> so we shouldn't be surprised that, Mons that Archbishop Vigano and this Monsignor Lantom, they know who they're dealing with. They're dealing with this homosexual cabal that has gotten in and, and basically taken the, the, the hierarchy, at least in this country, in the United States of America, taken it in, in kind of, a, I, I guess, you know the expression, the the velvet, <clears throat> the the iron fist and the velvet glove. Well, maybe we should say that they are the iron. They are the velvet fist in the iron glove. Velvet because of their homosexuality, but they have an iron glove, and they're holding they're holding the Novus Ordo Church by the throat right now. And. Um, you know, people might say, oh, come on, this is over, over dramatic. I mean, Archbishop Vigano releases this letter accusing them, and then he has to go into hiding. What's he afraid of? 
Um, Monsignor Lantome says, this might be the last lines I'm writing because I might be found chopped up by a chainsaw. Oh, come on, that's overdramatic. 20 years ago, I mentioned this last program, I think. 20 years ago, a Father Alfred Kunz was murdered in his rectory. And the understanding is, of those who knew him well, that he was going to blow the whistle on this homosexual network in the Diocese of Madison, Wisconsin. And um, his death had everything to do with this. These people will stop at nothing. And if you don't mind my going on just a little bit longer, okay? I didn't say I'd be brief. Okay? <laughs> Sorry. I didn't make that promise here. There's a priest by the name of Father Palka, P-I-L-K-A, in, in, in Tampa, Florida. And I think he's one of these kind of indult mass, uh, Simorum Pontificum masses. Unfortunately, he is part of the Novus Ordo. And he's a pastor at Epiphany of Our Lord Catholic Church, so-called, in Tampa. But he has written a number of entries for his parish bulletin that are explosive. <clears throat> he's written about this, by the way, I think it's since this Pennsylvania report came out. But he began writing it even before Archbishop Vigono's letter appeared. Okay? So it's interesting the timing of what he wrote here in his own parish bulletin. But if I may be allowed to say this, he, uh, Father Palka says, why don't the priests blow the whistle? This is what he's saying. Why don't the priests blow the whistle on these abusers? And what he says here I think is very instructive. One question that was asked after last week's homily was, why don't good priests and good bishops blow the whistle on the abusive priests and bishops? Many people still don't, I believe most priests still don't, understand just how evil the active homosexual or homosexual activist, and he, he then uh, gives initials to refer to them, the active homosexual he refers to as capital A-H, and then slash the act the homosexual activist he calls H A so like aha and that's how he refers to them from then on how evil the active homosexual or the homosexual activist priests and bishops are not understanding the extent of their depravity and wrongly thinking they are simply normal men who just struggle with their sexual desires and sometimes might fail to remain chaste but are really truly repentant when it happens and strive to, quote, confess my sins, do penance, and amend my life, amen, end quote, they cannot possibly grasp the hellish depths to which the aha clergy will go to persecute, lambaste, punish, humiliate, and blackmail anyone who stands in their way or threatens their way of life. Let me be clear, this is Father Palkis still speaking here. The aha priests and bishops treat their sexual mortal sin as if, as if it is a good and a God-given good at that. If they even believe in God, something of which I am very doubtful, at least in the Catholic understanding of who God really is. Nay, more than a good, they are convinced that it is the good. They will go to any, re repeat any length to force others to engage in it. That's their homosexuality. To accept it, 
or to, at the very least, ignore it and pretend that it doesn't exist or that it is not harmful enough to mention or try to eradicate. They do not struggle with their disordered sexual desires as so many others do, but rather revel in them. With that as my premise, let me explain why few good priests and bishops will openly challenge their brother priests and bishops when it comes to this particular sin. Next week, perhaps, I will take it a step further and write about why even priests who have left the active ministry, mostly to get married, that they cannot and will not come forward with what they know and with what, with what quite often drove them out of the ministry in the first place. He goes on to explain that the very application to the process of getting into the modern seminaries requires that young men reveal many intimate details about their private lives and that what goes into that file will be used to blackmail them into silence. They will be, that information will be used, first of all, <clears throat> to corrupt them to giving in that the bishops and their fellow, the, the, the so-called clergy of the Novus Ordo will use that information to set them up to fall into homosexuality to use that to corrupt them and make homosexuals out of them. And then, if they ever try to escape or ever threaten to blow the whistle, to threaten them that they will be exposed. And this goes on while they're seminarians, later on if they become ordained in the Novus Ordo, later on if they even leave the Novus Ordo priesthood, so-called, they will have this hanging over their head. They will be threatened with blackmail. That's what this Father Palkis says. You know, you know, you have something here going on in a, in a one little church in Tampa, Epiphany of Our Lord, uh, by this one clergyman who really understands and is willing to say what's happening here, what the homosexuals are doing, the stranglehold they have with their velvet fist and the iron glove on the throat of the Novus Ordo clergy. And he says, blackmail is the order of the day with them. And this is what they're using to bully everybody into silence. You know? <clears throat> now, uh, you know, knowing this, and reading what he has to say here, and knowing about the death of Father Kunz 20 years ago remains totally unsolved all this time, right? The hush is on here. Silence, everybody. Then is it any wonder that an, an Archbishop Vigano, who knows the score, is going to disappear and try to... Uh, try, try to remain out of their grip because he knows what they'll do. They'll stop at nothing. That's as Father Palka says. Is there anyone, any wonder that this Monsignor Lantome says, if this is the last thing ever right, and I'm fine tomorrow chopped up with a chainsaw, don't be surprised, that they call it suicide. They know what they're dealing with. You know, Tom, people sometimes express wonderment at what uh, uh, pro-abortion people will do. But I keep reminding them they, they murder babies. I mean, what is there that they will not do, you know, in order to protect their sexual lifestyle? They murder babies. They'll do anything. There's nothing that they will stop. And the same with these people. When Francis got in, when Francis first got in, one of the first things he said back in 2013 was, we must stop this obsessing with abortion, contraception, and homosexual marriage. Those are the three things he listed here, <clears throat> right? He included that homosexual marriage. There's a reason why he listed these three things. They're all about this. 
They're about sex without, without sexual activity without giving life. All of them. And he's sympathetic to all of them. Um, he doesn't want people to obsess about these things. He wants people to let these things be. Because actually, our work with the poor is much more important than any one of these things. You know, The murder by the hundreds of thousands, millions of babies, that's just one aspect. right? We have to focus on the poor. No wonder he's trying to draw the spotlight away from these things. Homosexual marriage being one of them. He's trying to draw, he told you right then and there, he's going to draw the spotlight away from the homosexuality. He doesn't want us obsessing about that, right? We've got to begin to let that go. After all, who am I to judge, right? That's what he wants us all thinking. So we should not be surprised by anything that Archbishop Vigano has to say about him. And it, it would surprise me to find out that he is not one of them and he is not their supreme potentate. Uh, he's not their supreme pontiff overseeing all of this lechery and this depredation on the young and the, in, let's say, hopefully innocent. Because that's, those are the ones they're looking for. They want to mark with the mark of their homosexuality. They want fresh meat, and that's what they go for. They find it in their seminaries. Um, it, this is the most, it's just absolutely horrible, and I, I just stress the fact this is not the Catholic Church. This is the work of her most vicious enemies who've gotten into her in, in control uh, through that door opened by modernism. And the only way we're going to deal with this is to shut that door against the modernists, to, sh to shove them out and to shut that door and lock that door against them. Even as Pope Pius X said we had to do back in 1907, he warned about this, he saw it all. He told us we cannot have any, there's no compromise with them. Well, if anybody still has any, any rose-colored glasses, he's better, he better throw them away. If anybody still is entertaining this, this crazy idea that you can compromise, there can be a compromise or an accommodation between Catholicism and modernism, this should show him that's absolutely impossible. The one is from heaven and the other is from hell. There is no possible compromise. We have to go back to the traditional faith. We have to reject this entire Novus Ordo construct. This is what it's all about. If you ask, if you want to pretend that what's been going on in the seminaries and so on uh, with, the, with the hierarchy of the Novus Ordo, if you want to pretend that that's some kind of an aberration that has nothing to do with modernism, then you are simply, you are, you are in denial and you will not face reality. And only grace can, can break you out of that, that uh, fantasy world you're living in. But for those who want to face the reality, they have to admit, they have to admit the fact, this is the work of the modernists. We have to reject the work of the modernists and the new mass, the new sacraments, the new catechism, the new code of canon law, the whole thing. We have to reject their whole religion that was written for their, for their faith. And we have to go back to the traditional Catholic faith and practice the traditional Catholic religion. It's the only way. And, you know, Father, all this that you're saying, it, it seems to show perfectly just how naive it is, all of, all of these calls for uh, for Francis to resign in the wake of all of this. And, it, you know, like you said, this this is so much, it's so much bigger than Francis. It, this is Vatican II, like you said. There's this homosexual cabal that you keep talking about. And, you know, this, this is what they do, removing Francis, removing the head that doesn't solve 
the problem at all. They'll they're just still, get another one. They're still the same. It's like the hydra. There. It's exactly. like the hydra time. The, the head grows back again. But but you see so many uh, so many people now calling for Francis's resignation. Just today on, on Rush Limbaugh's radio show, I heard him say, you know, Francis is a liberal. You elected a liberal to run your your institution, and this is what happens. <laughs> well, well, true, but <laughs> I mean, it, it's a bit more than that. There's not just Francis that's a liberal. It's this <laughs> entire. Novus Ordo hierarchy. It's the entire Novus Ordo church mm -hmm. that is the liberal. And cutting off the head isn't going to do It's not as lot. though Francis started it. No. <laughs> no. He's the result. He's the right, product right, of it all. Right. And exactly. keeping that keeping that structure in place is just going to um, mm. generate another one exactly like him. Yeah, I'm, so. afraid, I'm afraid you're right. Yeah. There are some who realize that, and they, they are depending on him now to get rid of them all? To dismantle us? Oh, no, 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 no. Please. I'm afraid that they're going to that Francis is going to step down, but they're going to settle on somebody. I mean, let's face it, because the Cardinal Burks and all the rest, they're all scared to death of schism, right? Yeah. All the conservatives scared to death of schism, right? So the, I fear that they will come to the table and work out they're going to negotiate a kind of settlement on some compromise figure. Maybe some young Cardinal who doesn't have much of a track record, so you can't really, or, you know, blame too much on him. Maybe he will be shrewd enough, be shrewd as, remember our Lord said, be shrewd as serpents, but guileless as doves. But the modernists are shrewd as serpents, but guileless as serpents, you know. And they, to settle on a figure who the conservatives can live with because maybe he's doctrinally orthodox. Relatively speaking, relative to Francis. Maybe he's more conservative than Francis, see. So the conservatives will say, well, he's a step in the right direction, right? Because he's not as bad as Francis was, you know? Conservatives will compromise at every, every chance they get, you know? And um, to gain an inch, they'll give a mile. And the liberals will want somebody who's still radical, deep down. Maybe, as Francis was accused of recently, not even believing in God. Not even having a belief in God. And they'll put this candidate forward to succeed Francis. And the conservatives can be quiet and say, well, we'll just keep an eye out. We'll watch this guy. You know? And the liberals will say, well, we'll watch. You know, we'll, 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 the jury's out. We'll see what he becomes. And he'll be slick as oil. You know, it's just really slick. They need somebody who's going to pull this back together. It's the only way they can get they can reassert their control. And by the way, now you have Donardo, Daniel Donardo, you know, saying Cardinal Daniel, he said we're going to have a serious and urgent inquest and investigation of this all. All of this, yes, we're going to investigate this all. Oh and you know, anybody who, who there are going to be people who actually take this seriously. <laughs> and it just. I can't believe how, how, how there's people, there are people who are actually going to take that seriously. That they're going to investigate themselves. Father, how, how long does this game go on? I mean, how, how long can, uh, can, can we, they keep trying to, to maintain these two As long as they can deceive people. I love those. As long as people are willing to be deceived. You know, as long as people cannot accept the fact that these people do not act and speak in the name of the Catholic Church. As long as people are convinced that they speak and act in the name of the Catholic Church. I mean, that's what the liberals want. The liberals want to want to blame the church for what's happened. They want to say, this is the work of the Catholic Church. And the conservative Novus Ordos want to say the same thing. 
they're insisting on saying the same thing that the, that the, the radical leftists are saying, that this is the Catholic Church. <clears throat> I mean, we know conservative Novus Ordo Catholics who still have the faith, but they still want to hold on for dear life, insisting that, well, you know, it's still, he's still the Holy Father, and he still speaks in the name of the Catholic Church, you know, and we, we have to recognize that we can't question that. And uh, all of these cardinals and all of these bishops and so on, I mean, they're put in place by him. I mean, Tobin out there in San Diego, you know, and, and, and Whirl in, in Washington, D.C. I mean, he's, they're still in place because the Holy Father has put them there, and they still have authority, and they still, still speak and act in the name of the Catholic Church. We still have to respect that. They are doing the work of the leftists who are doing the work of the devil, they're all agreeing that this is the work of the Catholic Church. And this is exactly what Satan wants. He wants everybody in the world to say, this is the Catholic Church that has done these things. He wants us to see the Church as something foul, something vile, something corrupt, something evil. And even according to the terms of their document of Vatican II on religious liberty, the state, the, the, the civil government can move in to control the church because of the evil things the Catholic Church has done <laughs> against society, right? The, the only way, I mean, I'm telling you, John, I mean, you asked the question. It's a very good question. I think they're going to get away with it until as long as people are still, until as long as those conservative Novus Ordo Catholics are willing to by the line that these people are acting and speaking in the name of the Catholic Church. And they're actually acting and speaking in the name of Christ. It's only when people begin to accept the fact that they're not. That they are not acting and they are not speaking in the name of Jesus Christ. They are not actually representing the Roman Catholic Church. It's only then that people would begin to understand, look, these people are intruders. They're enemies who seized control. We must reject them. And there are those who are going to say, but wait a minute, what about the, the, the papacy and the, the episcopacy and all the structure of the hierarchy? What happens then? Well, they have to realize that we may not be able to answer that question. But reality is what it is. And if they have a strong enough faith, they'll be able to handle that. If they, if, if they have a strong enough faith, they'll be able to handle the truth and realize, look, we can't go on pretending that these people represent the church and these people represent Christ. We can't go on because we're just, we are attacking the church in saying that. We're, we're delivering the church, we're betraying the church into the hands of our enemies by saying that. And so we don't have all the answers. It's true. There are puzzlements. There seem to be, we seem to be on the horns of a dilemma here, but we have to face reality. These people are not the Catholic Church. They don't represent the Catholic Church. They're not the Catholic hierarchy. They're the enemies of Christ. We have to accept that for a fact. And when people do uh, face that, they'll realize we have to reject this Novus Ordo as the modernist construct of their own anti-faith, we have to go back to the traditional Catholic faith, entirely back to practice the traditional Catholic religion again. Then, then the game will be up for them. Then they will no longer get away with doing what they're doing. 
You know, Father, you mentioned the, the document on religious liberty and, and how it says, you know, the, the state can come in and, and control the church because of the evil things that, that she's doing. <clears throat> knowing that, knowing that that's their goal, that's that's where they're coming from, doesn't it seem that this abuse crisis and all of this going on in the church now, that this actually works towards that goal? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you, you know, it's... Um, this is to absolutely dis- discredit in the eyes of, of mankind the mm-hmm. Catholic Church, mm-hmm. ultimately to discredit Christ. Right. That's what and they're really seems, trying to do. That's exactly what the modernists want, and that's exactly what they're getting. You know, there, there's mm-hmm. so many who say, you know, this is uh, this is blowing up. It's it's such a scandal. They don't know what they're going to do. Francis doesn't. He doesn't care about this. He even said, "I'm not going to say a word about this." He doesn't. Th- this is what well, he wants. You know, Tom. There's another thing. You're obviously right about that. You know, that was creepy <laughs> when Francis on that flight back from Dublin. Where he condemned, he was outraged by the clergy abuse. Oh, come on. (laughs) On that flight back from Dublin to Rome, he had the press corps there. I mean, the press was all interviewing him, and he just loves these sessions, right? Because he can can just pontificate, and, by the way, he can magistrate. This is magisterium, right? (laughs) But Francis... um, was actually asked about this letter that had just come out. One of those journalists there asked him, asked him about this. Francis, you're right, said, I will not say one word about this. But this was really creepy to me. I don't know if anybody else took it this way, but this is the way I took it. Francis said to this journalist, you read the letter, you're a journalist, you'll know how to understand it. It's almost like you'll know how to interpret it. It's almost like he's saying, you'll know what to do. I may talk about it later after you get it, but right now I'm leaving it to you. And you know what they did? All these representatives of the the modernist liberal Catholic press went out and started attacking Archbishop Vigano, attacking him as some right-wing extremist who has a vendetta against Francis. And this is, and also, and this is the irony of ironies, they attacked Archbishop Vigano as having a kind of mania against the LGBT program. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And the fact that they were now being accepted into the church in Vigano would never allow that. And that's why he's done this. That's why he's accusing Francis. So it's like the argument becomes full circle there. (laughs) That they're saying that he's against the LGBT program is why he's exposing all of this evil and that shows that he is evil and he has an agenda to attack francis so he cannot be trusted as a matter of fact i I doubt that there are many people who recognize this unless they read it but as i said archbishop vigano was the apostolic nuncio like the representative of the holy see that's what an apostolic nuncio is but he was a representative of benedict right uh, back in 2006, he came to this country, and um, as the official representative of the church here in, in Washington, D.C., and um, during that, that, the, last, the last year or so of his tenure, he did something that Francis was very angry about, because there was in Kentucky a woman who was a, an official in, uh, in one of the government agencies there, it was her job, she would have had to have signed off on the marriage 
licenses for homosexuals. By Kentucky law, she was required to sign off, and she wouldn't do it. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Her name was Kim Davis. Right. right. She wound up going to jail. She was jailed by a federal judge who was the son of James Bunning. Jim Bunning was known as a conservative congressman. I think it was congressman. And he was also a very well-known and accomplished baseball player. Well, it was his son, the son of Jim Bunning, who was this federal, uh, federal court judge, who jailed Kim Davis. In the process, he, this, this uh, young Bunning wasn't really that young at the time, but he, he said, look, I'm the federal judge here. In my courtroom, my law goes. Even over the law of God, he practically came out and said that. <coughs> and so he jailed this woman. She courageously stood her ground, okay? About a week later, because of all the protests that were going on around the jail in that little town where she was sent, she was released. They worked out a, some kind of deal that they would allow her assistant to sign the documents because, of course, her assistant was terrorized by what happened to her. He was willing to sign the documents. That wasn't going to happen to him, okay? I think he might have actually agreed with her in principle, but... Uh, he was evidently he was willing to sign these documents. That's the pretext by which they released her from jail. Okay, she still wouldn't bend. So the Apostolic Nuncio, a certain Archbishop Vigano, the same Carlo Maria Vigano we're talking about here, who released this letter, he arranged a meeting, not to have Francis meet her, because Fran because Francis was in this country at the time. Francis came to America, you know, in the, within the realm of all this happening, within the time frame. And so Vigano arranged for Kim Davis to meet Francis. Now, Francis had another meeting scheduled that same day. And that same day, he was to meet very publicly with a couple of homosexuals who were getting married or had been married already. Francis was going to meet with them. That was his actual scheduled meeting as a real photo op uh, for him. And lo and behold, who does the Apostolic Nuncio bring out? <laughs> he brings out Kim Davis, who will not sign the homosexual marriage documents. Francis was absolutely livid that his Apostolic Nuncio would do that. And later on, after this happened, Francis was denying that he met with Kim Davis. And then the truth came out that, no, he did meet Kim Davis, but it wasn't arranged by Francis. It was arranged by Archbishop Vigano. Francis' only real meeting that he would admit to, the only meeting he wanted was with the homosexuals. What does that tell you? What should, have that, what should everyone have learned from that experience? This is the same Vigano now who was writing that this happened. By the way, Vigano was sacked shortly after that under the pretext of having reached, you know, 75 years of age. But Wuerl reached 75 years, sent in his letter of, recommend, of, of resignation, and Francis didn't accept that. <laughs> no, Wuerl's still there in, in Washington, D.C., still carrying on, still, still doing what he's been doing all, these, all this time, right? With a seminary of, uh, of, of rancid with homosexual abuse, right? Um, it's interesting to see Vigano here because wherever they put him, he's been like a thorn in their thorn in their side. 
He even tried to explain in his letter why he didn't speak up until now. You know, I mean, I don't. I, I find it hard to imagine that that really could suffice in his mind and his conscience as a good reason to have kept this under wraps all this time. But you know, you read his letter and he explains why it's taken him this long to speak out. But he says explicitly because the corruption has reached the very top. Mm-hmm. That is why his letter is 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 being referred to as an atomic bomb going off in, in their in their church there. Well, I, you know, I'm praying for him. I want him to come back to practice the tradition, the true faith. He's been going along with this modernism all this time. I hope he sees the connection between the homosexual cabal that has his hierarchy in this stranglehold and modernism and the modernism of, of John Paul II, the modernism of Paul VI before him, who is, uh, well, you know, Father Vila, Father Luigi Vila, Vila um, he wrote about uh, almost, uh, he wrote about Paul VI, and there is a lot of evidence questioning Paul VI's own orientation and the ones he brought in. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody had to bring all these people in. Francis, uh, John, I'm sorry, Paul VI is the one who brought in the new Mass, all the new sacraments, pontificated, closed Vatican II, said he was sounding the, the, the trumpets of the apocalypse, right? Remember that? And there is plenty of evidence to show that, um, that he's the one who brought these homosexuals into the church because he was one of them too. Mm-hmm. So we're dealing with uh, an evil that has been going on for a long time. I hope these people who still have the faith and have some courage will come to realize the, the, the absolute, uh, that, that it is the modernists who have given birth to this crisis. This is their offspring. And, and then that they will reject the modernists and all their works and all their pomps and go right back to the traditional faith again. This is what I'm praying for. Father, let's uh, let's end with this. I, um, with all of this, this crisis going on, it um, you know you read articles all the time now saying how this crisis, this abuse crisis, is, has caused a crisis of faith in the church, and uh, there are apparently so many Catholics that that just can no longer attend their churches. They can't put up with 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 this uh, this abuse, all this hypocrisy, and everything going on. And it seems that. Um, that, that that this this abuse this crisis has even it's even affected some of our own traditional Catholics and how they're, they're just so um, so distraught with all of this. They're scandalized and discouraged. Fine. And uh, the problem is though because they don't understand modernism, and um, they still they still have this tendency. It's kind of an, almost like a reflex uh, to look upon Francis and and his cardinals and bishops as. Catholic Catholics, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, still to regard them as Catholics, yeah. and as Father Palka says, they don't have the faith. No. They have no. Father Palka makes this very clear. They have no supernatural faith whatsoever. They glory in their shame. They rejoice in their homosexuality, and their ability to be predators. Within the, they've come into the church as predators and done this damage. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, as long as even our own traditional Catholics haven't figured out yet and haven't gotten that straight. That's why I got into the pulpit last Sunday. I mean, if people want to go to the, the sermon that I gave here at Immaculate Conception for 
the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, last Sunday, it's relatively brief, <laughs> okay, about 22 minutes, but I try to lay it all out, you know, how, what, what's happening here. But the point I'm making is, this is not the Catholic Church. Please do not believe for a second this is the Catholic Church. <laughs> no matter how they hammer, try to hammer that point on. What did, what did Voltaire say back in 1600? A crush the wretch. His goal was to uh, eradicate from the face of the earth the very memory of Christ and Christianity. That's what he wanted to do. 200 years later, the Masons, right? The permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita. Our goal is that of Voltaire, to destroy the very memory of Christ and Christianity, to completely obliterate it from the face of the earth, okay? Then in, in 1907, Pope Pius X uh, issues Pascendi, talking about modernism and what, what its goal is, you know? And uh, 10 years later, Our Lady, Our Lady appears at Fatima, talks about the crisis we're facing right now, okay? I mean, th this is all related. This is all interrelated here. Uh, we see a development here. But Pius X being congratulated by a cardinal after he condemned, after he condemned modernism. And Pius X answering the cardinal that the modernists have gone underground for the moment, but they will resurface a half a century from now, 50 years later, and they will lay waste the church. From 1907 to 1957. 58 is when, it, right on cue, mm -hmm. Pope Pius XII died and John XXIII was elected and declared his program of adjournamento, right? Updating the church. Exact modernist program. So our faith should be confirmed by this, that what we've been told is, is happening is actually happening. And God knows this, and he's been trying to warn us for all this time, and our Blessed Mother. This should confirm our faith, and that, that causes us to question it. I've mentioned I made that, big part, that point before, and I want everybody to be straight. I want all of our students to be straight on this, that what they're hearing is the Catholic Church is not the Catholic Church, and they need to be able to explain to people why this is not the Catholic Church. This is the work of our enemies who are trying to bury her. Mm -hmm. and, and Father, you know, I thought perhaps the, the perfect answer to all this can be found in, in St. Matthew's Gospel, not, not long after the, uh, our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. You know, he, he comes down from the mountain and he is um, performing all, all kinds of miracles. Mm -hmm. He boards a, a boat with some of his disciples to go across the lake, falls asleep, a... Mm -hmm. uh, the great storm, a tempest ar arises, you know, the, the waves are crashing over the boat, they're coming into the boat. The disciples on the boat, they wake our Lord, who yeah. is sleeping, and they say, Lord, Lord save us. They're time working. They say, <laughs> yeah, violently wake him. They say, Lord, Lord save us lest, lest we perish. And yeah. and our Lord, he, he rebukes them for this. Yeah. He says, why are you afraid? Why are you yeah. fearful? You have little yeah. faith. And uh, it seems that's we could all use a dose of that today. You know, we have... The vessel, the the boat there that our Lord is on, uh, if I understand correctly, represents the church. You know, we are on, we are aboard this vessel. We are part of the the church. We have Christ on our side. He is in the boat with us. Yeah. He's here with us. There's no there's no need to fear. Anything. As long as we hold to the two founts of Revelation, sacred scripture and sacred tradition, mm -hmm. that is where Christ is. Right. That is where the Holy Ghost is. Yeah. You know, and he's in that boat. It's easy to understand why the apostles would kind of hold back from trying to awaken him. Because, I mean, the waves are washing over the boat. The wind is howling. <laughs> and the boat is crashing. You'd think 
They must have wondered, how can he sleep through this? <laughs> but this is the sleep of innocence, you know. <clears throat> so they go and awaken him, say, Lord, save us, we perish. For his sake, for their sake, he rose up. For their sake, and he commanded the winds and the waves, and there came a great calm. Mm -hmm. Remember that, right? And you're right, Tom, we have to have that faith. I mean, like the apostles, we may not understand how or why this is all happening, but we have to face the reality of what's happening. What is this storm here, okay? And we have to recognize the crashing of the waves. We have to recognize the howling of the wind. It's the howling of the modernists, the howling of the homosexuals now, that they've been uncovered. And, the, and, and, the, they, and uh, they, it's almost like an animal in its death throes just goes wild, it goes berserk. You know, it will snap and crush anything in its path. And this is what this, this evil is here. So we have to be prepared and fasten the seatbelts for the um, for what's what's ahead here. But I hopefully hopefully those seatbelts will not be in the Novus Ordo pews, but will be in the traditional Catholic pews, because that's the only that's the only way anybody's going to come through this with his faith, with his soul intact, right? So uh, again, I mean, it sounds like a broken record here, but. Reject modernism, its works, its pomps, it is the work of Satan, right? And anybody who doesn't see that now, I, I don't know what hope there is, <laughs> except for some great grace is going to get through to them. But uh, we, we, can, we can actually tie it all together. We can see it all developing. Perhaps we should do a, just do a program about, you know, from the from various origins and take it all the way through from the beginning to the, to the present day and let people see how this uh, see the connection of how all this came to be. Well, that, we, don't, we won't do that right now. <laughs> I promise you. Okay. Uh, that's, that might be a future program. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for being here tonight, Father. You're welcome, Tom. Thank you. God no bless you. Yeah. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.